Hello, welcome to a podcast that does not yet have a firm name. I think it's I think it's gonna be Creature on Fire because that's that just feels easy. But um, I don't know. I don't know yet. Um, I am in a motel <laughs> in Lebanon, Oregon, <laughs> the world's shittiest town. Um, I'm, like, recovering from, like, a little bug. I guess it was a bug. I don't really know. I asked my body, and my body was, like, it doesn't really matter. Like, the point is you got rest. Um, I'm learning that I need to spend at least a few days of each month, um, in this, in this nomadic lifestyle, like, secluded in within four walls um and I can't really spend more than a a week doing that um because it is my nature to like be flowing and outside but there are times when I just need a fucking cave um so uh, that's what I've been doing I've been in a cave (laughs) um yeah, I feel I feel really good today. I feel so soft and so tender, and I've been taking a break from engaging like super intensely on Instagram or like any social media because um, things are things are kind of rough out there right now. I don't know if if y'all listening can feel it, but things feel really tight and tense and gunky. And I know what's coming up needs to be coming up, but um, at least like the spiritual circles I follow are sort of shattering. What I'm seeing is it, it feels like trees just like snapping under pressure. Um... Like, the wind blows the tree, and the tree was, it, it wasn't flexible enough. Like, it was so rigidly attached to to its own truth that when the wind came, the tree just snapped. Which brings me to the general topic of this episode, which is the spine. So I think um, I'm going to be... I'll be doing Q&A still because it's fun and I, I think I work better responding to questions rather than just like monologuing, I think. But also like just wanted to like deep dive into different parts of the body that feel important as they come up within the collective I'm tapped into. And I don't like doing, you know, whatever collective readings because I feel like um, that can easily go from being a reading of a collective to creating the reality for the collective but I think like the way I work is I see the collective as a body right I see the collective as a body in the same way that I feel my own body and I feel psycho-spiritual emotional traumas as sensations in my body I feel and see wounds in the collective as physical sensations in the collective body so I'll feel things in the lungs of the body or 
the dick of the body or the shoulder blades of the body or the endocrine system of the body or the wings of the body wings we we all have wings they're just energetic not physical in in our human form um so yeah i i feel into all those things and um the spine has just been coming up for weeks now weeks and weeks and i've just been like building and building my gnosis on it organically as i observe um as i observe what's going on i'm like talking to the to the iphone and getting dressed at the same time so if my voice goes in and out that's that's what's up um but yeah, we're going to talk about the spine. I was supposed to give myself like notes on this because like I said, monologuing is kind of hard for me, but I feel like I can just flow with it. So yeah, the spine, the spine, the spine is, um, it's our main channel of communication. Um, and for humans, so if you think about the spine is like the trunk of a tree, right? But a tree, um, the tree has less flesh and less padding than a human does. So with a tree, it's just the, the spine and the spine itself kind of interacts with the, the outside world. There's like a thin layer of, of skin, of bark um, that keeps it contained from the outside world, obviously. But um, the tree doesn't have this like intermediary layer of fluids and skin in the same way that a person has. The tree is way denser. Um, so the human has a tree trunk, and that's the spine. Um, but the spine is is sort of buried within the complex biology of the human. Um, and then with further, it's buried within like lots of auric layers and the whole energetic body, which is really just, you know, there's not that much difference between the physical body and the energetic, except that um, one is denser. And so... The other one isn't visible to most of our eyes, um, the energetic one. Let me get water because my voice is already tired. <laughs> okay. So the human spine, because it is so buried within the biology of the human, is all about communication with self. Right? There are other parts of our body where we make direct contact with the world, with what is not us physically, like the hands and the eyes and um, the, ep- the whole epidermis, the feet. But the spine, um, spine is all about communication within self and it's about communication between um, the sort of lower more physical densities of us right the root the sacrum um those primal pre-verbal parts of us that really form who we are that we don't fucking talk about enough and the the quote-unquote higher less dense um part of our existence the spirit right the spine forms a a telephone wire between um base and crown between matter and spirit which in itself is a binary but it's a binary we navigate through the spine 
And so the spine is also what gives us our concept of truth. The spine is where most of our gnosis happens. And this is what we don't, this is what we don't talk about. We think that gnosis happens through the brain or maybe the heart. And like, yeah, those are important. <laughs> yes, true, those are important. And maybe I'll do another episode on them. But um, so much of how we process truth happens in the spine which carries neuron messages from upper to lower and lower to upper parts of the body. And so there's a, there's a level of flexibility and strength in a spine that happens when we develop coherently, which is very rare in this society because so much of the way society is structured is to target the development the development of a child um the development of a child um so 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 much of our targeting is towards the physical emotional development of our bodies through childhood this is why i think people get a bit distracted by um you know they get real conspiratorial and they start reading all this shit about high level advanced mind control techniques and this is taking over that and this is what's behind and like yeah that's important but the reason we're so susceptible to that stuff is because our bodies never got to develop the way they were supposed to through like bread and butter plain old trauma birth trauma poor parenting techniques which weren't weren't our parents fault most of the time it's what the culture taught us you know Things like the cry it out method, the way we breastfeed, all of these things contribute to the development of the child. And um, the part of that that's connected to truth is the spine. And so people talk about spinelessness a lot. Spinelessness, not having a spine, not having integrity, not having a grounded sense of your own truth. Um... not having it's like lacking a backbone right just being kind of collapsible and that is a pattern there there is a pattern to that um but um something i'm seeing that feels relevant right now is there's a there's another way that your sense of truth can be hijacked and and that your spine can be weak and it becomes weak when it becomes rigid and this is what i see this is the most common problem I see especially in people who are active in quote-unquote spirituality it's not about spinelessness so much as it is about a spine that's become so rigid and brittle that it clings to mental truths and some of these people cling to mental truths thinking that they're spiritual law and that's a real problem that's a gateway for so much dogma so much pain So much distortion, so much ego, all disguised as spiritual enlightenment. It's super dangerous. I say it from personal experience. Dogma is a huge shadow in my family, um, and it's one that I inherited from a super young age because none of us had access to the full aliveness of our spines. This also goes into masculine-feminine dynamics, The masculine without being grounded in sophionic essence is dangerous. 
because it doesn't know what it's doing. If you're not feeling your aliveness, nothing you say can come from a place of truth. I think we have the whole idea of truth so wrong. We hold it above the feeling of aliveness and then we get confused and we wonder why. The spine becomes rigid when um, we do not feel safe to inhabit its lower um, vertebrae. So the vertebrae that aligns with the root, the sacrum, and tons of other portals, energy portals that um, don't have names in the new age. If we come into this world and we don't feel like it is safe to inhabit our alive bodies and to be alive, we lock up down there. And we think we're doing it for safety, and we, maybe we are. Um, but what that actually does is perpetuate the, the body's feeling of unsafety. Because think of how scary it is to not have a root, right? To not have an anchor um, in the aliveness of the world that is God, right? Sophia is the feminine aspect of God. It's the beingness. Imagine not being connected to that. I mean, a lot of us are, are not, <laughs> are not. Um, and so when that happens, our foundation is shaky. We don't, we don't have a foundation. And so we shoot up into the, the upper part of the spine, right? Um, some of us inhabit the heart without access to the feet, and that's its own thing. It's its own like feminine type of inversion, and I can talk about that later. But what most commonly happens is we shoot up to the head. We shoot up to the top vertebrae of the spine. And we cling, we cling to that part of us with no anchoring in our lower spine. This is the pat this is the physical pattern you see in um, in most of spirituality that's over focused on logos um, over focused on capital T truth like objective truth and it's also what you see in scientific materialism this is something this is important because um, a lot of us in spirituality talk about, oh, like scientific materialism is dangerous because it excludes the, the whole concept of spirit. A lot of spirituality is the same thing as scientific dogma, right? Science is its own religion when it's not questioned and when it's not put into the context of the lived body. Science is just another religion. And so when spirituality come, becomes religion is when um, the spine becomes so rigid and brittle that it acts from a fear of its own breakage. It acts from a fear of its own breakage. That's why people cling to truth. You don't cling to anything unless you're afraid. Clinging is the inversion of water. It's the not being in touch with the element of water, which is the sophionic, the flow, the feminine, the feeling, surrender. So when people run to logos, they run to the masculine, 
they run, they seek these hard truths. They want the answers. They want the answers to why things are the way they are. Their spines are so rigid. They feel breakable. And so unknowingly, right, because all this happens under the guise of seeking the truth at all costs. And, you know, I would die for the truth and um, the truth, shall, you know, shall set you free and, and all this other stuff. It's under the guise of courage, but it's actually coming from a place of fear and ego. And it's so subtle because it comes from something so primordial. This wound is hidden because it's primordial. It happened before we could form words. That's what preverbal trauma is. Any trauma that happens before we can form words creates an unspoken layer of fear and ego beneath our lived reality. And that is what drives a lot of spiritual shadow. That's what makes it so subtle. Truth in itself will not save you. It's all about the frequency with which you approach it. So something someone says could be objectively true. Objective is a whole other thing. But um, if you're approaching it from a place of fear, then you're actually not approaching it from a place of truth. There can't be truth where there's distortion. And so science, um, bad science, <laughs> clings to its own truth without acknowledgement of the other half of what this whole experience is, which is the Sophionic experience, the feminine aspect of God, the great mystery, the thing that cannot be quantified or expressed through Logos, right? Logos is limited. I love Logos. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I love I love masculine gnosis. I love truth. Um, it's a big part of what I'm here to do. And it's coming through in this, in this message. This is not a, it's just like a Sophionic flow, right? Um, this is my logos. But <laughs> just lost my train of thought. Oh, but Logos isn't the whole picture. Logos is limited. Words are limited. The truth that we call objective is limited. And there's a huge shadow to objectivity. And it comes through in science and it comes through in over-masculinized spirituality, inverted masculine spirituality. Which is that through our narrow, limited perspectives, so much of which are determined by things that we don't even remember from the first two years of our lives. We take truths that are subjective and claim that they're objective and then impose them upon everybody else. That's dogma. I say this from deeply personal experience. This is one of the biggest lineage or lines of karma in my lineage. Dogma. When I was little, I found no safety in my own body. My body was terrifying to me. I consciously remember this. I never had the experience of feeling like my needs were met, whether I was in the womb or whether I was an infant or whether I was four years old. I never had that fundamental 
relationship of trust with the universe in this life because I that's not how I was cared for right um a lot of it wasn't even my parents fault it was just the experience I had as an infant and so from a a, a super early age my spine the lower half of my spine (coughs) was locked up I didn't have access to it I had no access to that part of me. That part of me being my internal subjective truth. People are hating on subjectivity in spiritual community right now. Um, because they saw the shadow of it in the new age, right? Oh, we create our own reality and nothing is this and that. And um, Subjective truth is important. Subjective truth is so important. And objectivity can be as dangerous as subjectivity when it's left unchecked. And so I didn't really have, I didn't have that much access to my feelingscape when I was a child. I really didn't. Um, If you know the Reishian character typologies, it's like a bioenergetic system of of understanding how trauma shapes our bodies, you'll know that that's that's an example of the schizoid personality. So the schizoid had trauma during infancy and never fully landed in the body, overcompensated by shooting its energy up to the head. That's what happened to me. So my brain developed really fast and really early, and a lot of parts of me developed really early. My connection to spirit was always there, but it was so ungrounded. And what you see in kids like that, which is a lot, a lot of these kids grew up and became spiritual teachers. So if you're listening to this, probably happened to you. Um, a, lot of, a lot of these spiritual teachers we see today uh, started out as kids who, who were cut off from their bodies and they overcompensated by clinging to a truth or a system of truth. These are people who find solace in religious systems or in science. You can go one of two ways. You know, you can go, you can become a a nutty kind of mad scientist, uh, overly materialistic and no concept of spirit, or you can escape into the spirit, but without any attachment to the sophionic body. Where attachment isn't the right word, like grounding. So um, one of the biggest signs of the schizoid pattern in children is um, clinging to truths. When you're a kid and you don't have grounding in love and in the body, what you turn to is truth. And so these kids really need, they really need the facts straight, right? When I was a kid, I remember if my parents said something and then they said something later that contradicted that thing, I would get really upset. And most kids wouldn't because, you know, they have a sense of like flexibility and fluidity of truth. And it's all kind of like this flowy, fun little game, right? That's what, that's what life is. But um, when you're not raised right, you get this overlay of seriousness in your aura and you need things to be straight and true and factual And so I would start crying. If I felt like an adult was telling me something that was wrong, 
I would start crying because I would feel betrayed. And this is something I've had to go back and heal. Those devastating feelings of betrayal were actually secondary to the initial betrayal that I had with my body. What I was doing with what the adults in my life were telling me, which at that point was appropriate to my age, right? Because children do look to adults for the truth. Is what so many grown adults are doing now in spiritual community, giving their power and their sovereignty away to systems and then thinking that they know the answers and then getting betrayed when those systems let them down and turn out to be quote-unquote distorted or false, etc. That's what you're doing. You're just a child. You're just a child seeking security in the wrong places. Logos is not a place through which to seek security. This is why there's so much distortion and so much dogma in spirituality is because we seek the logos, the masculine, for the wrong reasons. If you're seeking anything from a place of needing security, you're not going to get the truth. No matter how technically true the information you discover is, your relationship, your relationship to it will be distorted fundamentally. And it, it'll be inflexible. And so you'll feel that betrayal when a system lets you down. I don't think there's not, there's not that much wrong with systems. Like I go in and out. Sometimes I follow a spiritual teacher and then I'm like, eh, this is starting to feel weird. And I, I unfollow them. I join communities and then I leave them. But there's no need. There's no need to, you know, when something falls in and out of resonance, it's okay. <laughs> if you feel like your reality has been shattered when a system you were part of has been shattered, then it means you were too attached to that system for, to, you know, to begin with. And you wouldn't have attached yourself to that system, to that system of knowledge, of belief, if you hadn't been fundamentally insecure within yourself, within your aliveness. Because there's an aspect to spirituality, the most important aspect, that is not quantifiable through Logos, that's just aliveness. And that aliveness doesn't need any, anything to attach itself to. If you're a feminine and you're in your divine code, you know what I'm talking about. It's fucking beautiful. It's Sophia. It's the primordial feminine. It's just being alive and not needing anything beyond that. And that's something I feel so lucky to have re-accessed in my life. When I feel like everything I thought was true is crumbling around me, I can come back to my body. And I can feel the truth and the warmth and the, the beauty. That's just, it's just beyond words. It's not something I can talk about without... Uh, poetry you can't describe it you can only be it and express it and feel it it's just the fundamental aliveness and the safety of that aliveness and so 
from that place, from, from that feminine space, I'm able to sit here and watch and watch all of these things that I, I once engaged with, maybe I still engage with them. I watch all of these truths crumble. I watch groups be exposed, you know, people talking about cults and, and all of this. I can watch the masculine working through itself, which is important. I'm not, you know, not to devalue that. It's important and sometimes I'll engage with it. And I can still feel completely secure, you know, did not used to be this way. When something collapsed, I would feel insecure because that's where my feet were planted. Now my feet are planted in me. <laughs> I'm, I'm the planet. I'm, I'm the ground beneath my feet. And if my beliefs change, my beliefs change. I'm still here. Beliefs are secondary to who I am as an expression of God. I was very dogmatic when I was nine. I had my own ideas. I didn't really, I didn't really cling to other people's. But I was super dogmatic, and um, I really needed my truth to be true. And I remember, I remember, because people are so surprised that I was awake to this shit when I was like, you know, a, a tween, but um, I was, for whatever reason, like, I remember thinking, wow, if I keep on going down this path, I'm going to become an extremist, and I remember at that time, this was like 2008, I guess, everyone was talking about, like, Osama bin Laden, and, and um, you know, terrorism and extremism, and that's a whole other, you know, we're not going to talk about what actually happened with that in this episode. But um, at the time, it was like a lens through which to, to reflect on myself. And I saw, I saw how my own rigidity and my need for a solid truth and my need to be against something. You know, I was such a rebel at that age. My need to be against something was turning me down a path that could have led me to extremism and violence. I saw that at age nine. And I also saw the way out of that. I also saw why I wasn't going to go down that path. And it's because my heart, even then, even from that place of needing truth and hating people, my heart was open. And so I had perspective. People think perspective comes from the mind's eye. It actually comes from the heart's eye. The heart, the astral plane, is where we learn how to put ourselves in other people's shoes and to understand other people in an intimate way and not just a cold, calculated way. So at nine, I could see perspective, and that's what saved me. That's what saved me from dogmatic logos. A lot of people in spiritual community are not accessing the heart code of perspective. And so their dogma is fixed and structural. And that can be dangerous. 
it can be dangerous because the second part of the second part of my own story is like I grew up I grew up out of that I started to soften and see things from other people's perspective and to see to see how my views about the world were a product of my early upbringing and at the time I was going to this this shitty public school in upper Manhattan um, and a lot of troubled kids troubled troubled kids were were in that system and we were playing out cruelties onto each other based on our own wounds and so I saw that and that seed was planted and then I I got older and I went to high school and we started studying philosophers and I loved it I loved philosophy I loved literary theory I loved consuming other people's truths but it was so clear to me like from the beginning that every single great mind which thought its own discoveries to be objective truth was actually a product of a very individual subjective upbringing right so we read Nietzsche and we read you know his whole god is dead spiel and I could see like (laughs) Like, this guy believes this shit because he had this trauma happen to him when he was one and a half, you know? It was so clear. And every time, every time someone comes at me with a this is objective truth, I see the little ways where their body, their subjective living body determined that belief system for them. So say you had, say say you had... um a womb environment that was hostile and deprived of nourishment, your whole understanding of the world is going to be based on that subjective belief. That's where capital O objectivity gets dangerous. And so every time someone presents me with a system that they claim is objective logos. I feel into where, where in the emotional body is this place, is this, is this system coming from? Is it coming from, you know, the base of the neck? Is it coming from one of the ribs? What story does that rib have to tell? Because this truth is really just a story. It's all just stories. That doesn't mean they're not true, but we need to start seeing truth as something internal. Even this truth, even my truths, they come from a place of my internal story. And that's okay, because the truth is what heals and we heal through going into the landscape of our subjectivity. And it's that, that process of getting intimate, not seeing, not seeing things from this cold, disconnected perspective, which is actually just, you know, the inverted masculine we call evil. It's logos cut off from the mother, cut off from the heart, cut off from the body. When we start to get intimate with our own subjective landscape of truth, And we value it as truth, as reality. That's when we get in touch with source. That's when we get in touch with um, the feeling state that is source. 
or it's like beyond feeling. I don't know. I always get like tongue tied when I when I try to talk about it. But yeah, all this to say like don't forget Sophia. <laughs> Protect Sophia. I just saw a picture of a book closing and that's when I know that I'm done. So 36 minutes. My voice is tired. It's really hard for me to like, I love talking. Like I love talking, but I feel like monologuing makes me just like, it it, like tires my voice out for some reason. And I, I need to like figure out how to do it in a sustainable way. Because I like it. It's just like, ugh, I don't know. Um, so I'm going to stop talking for a while and just spend the rest of the day being quiet. And I hope that transmission was helpful to you. I hope you, you know, get a chance to do the beautiful work of going through your truths and locating them in your body locating them in a point in time in your history learning your history it's so fucking fun it's like all I do (laughs) um yeah I'm gonna go peace